Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Chris and his family are on vacation. They've been on vacation all week this week, uh, spending some time down south. Uh, and, and we have been praying for them as they've been away. I know they've had some good rest, uh, enjoyed some time away. Uh, so this morning we will continue on, though, with our study in Ephesians. Uh, what a tremendous book this is. What a tremendous letter that Paul has, has given to the church in Ephesus uh, for, for so many reasons. Uh, this last week, Chris talked to you about the first part of this introduction. Paul gives this long introduction in Ephesians. Uh, he told you last week that, that we could break this introduction down into pretty di- three distinct parts. Uh, the first part, talking about how the Father elects us. Uh, Paul jumps right in talking about election uh, in this and, and how sometimes that can be kind of a controversial topic. Some people don't, it doesn't sit well with some. Uh, but Paul makes, makes it pretty clear that, that God has, has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. And he gives us a whole lot of things, and Chris talked a lot about that. Uh, and he told us last week that we have to have a right understanding of election. And, and that if we, if we have a right understanding of election in our lives, that it should produce in us lots of different things. It should produce humility and thanksgiving and, and dignity. It should produce in us security and confidence. Uh, it should produce in us a desire for holiness and growth, uh, for sanctification. Uh, and ultimately, it should produce praise and worship of God uh, in us. He also told us that, that however we understand it, uh, that we could go on both sides of, of this understanding of election and, and free will and all that, we need to understand that it's God's business, uh, that he's the one that does it. We don't know how exactly he does it. We don't understand all the time why he does the things that he does, but he's God, right? He can do what he wants. He sits on his throne. He is sovereign. He rules over everything. And we, as, as human beings, we do not know who are the elect. And so we are simply called to preach the gospel uh, to men and women all around the world so that they can believe and trust Jesus for salvation. He also told us that however we look at it, uh, however we look at this issue of, of, of election, it's all about Jesus. Uh, it's all about his work. Uh, it all comes from the Father, all through the Son, uh, and it's only the Son that redeems us from our sin. And that, that sets us up beautifully today uh, because the second part of this introduction, the Father elects is the, is the first part of the intro, uh, the Son redeems is the second part of the intro in, in Ephesians here. That's what we're going to look at today. Next week when Chris gets back, he'll talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit seals us. And he'll talk to you more about what that looks like next week. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1 today. Um, we're going to get through verses 7 through 10. Um, before I do that, I, I want to I say a couple of things that are, that are not related to this. But I'm afraid if I don't say them now while I'm thinking about them, I'll forget. Um, number one, I told you Happy Father's Day a while ago. We're going to do something for the fathers later on that I think is vital uh, for, for fathers. We're going to, uh, to have them come down later, and, and we're going to pray over the fathers uh, for homes, for families, that kind of thing. So I don't want you to sit there thinking if, if we haven't done anything for Father's Day, that's not the case. We're going to do that later. We're going to take some time at the end today to, to pray for you guys, to pray for your families, to pray for your homes. Uh, and, and so hopefully that will be a blessing to you. The other thing I want to tell you, Joe, Joe talked to me a while ago. He just mentioned to me, reminded me that the, that the youth are going to be going to Nashville this week to, to, uh, to call it MFUGE, Mission Fuge, uh, in Belmont, at Belmont University in Nashville. Uh, but what they will do, this is not going to be just like a regular church camp experience. They're going to be going out telling people these truths. They're going to have an opportunity to go out into to some different areas of Nashville with the gospel. Uh, people that are in homeless shelters and, and different places like that where people will be down and out, and, and, and they need Jesus. Uh, and so 
what I want to do right now, I just want to, I want to, remi- I want to ask you guys to to pray for them this week. Pray for Joe. Pray for Stacy and and, the, and all the youth that are going, uh, all the leaders that are going uh, as they go, that they can go with this truth, that they can go with this idea that that God has called us to preach the gospel, and that's what they get to do this week. So so be in prayer for the youth. Be in prayer for for Joe as he leads them uh, to go this week. Um, I'm sure they'll have a great week. Huge is usually a, a good time. Uh, it's usually a lot of work, but but it's always a blessing because. It's, it's very Christ-focused and, and gospel-centered. And, and so be in prayer for them this week as they go. Uh, they'll leave early in the morning, uh, tomorrow morning, and, and, and spend the week down there. So will you do that for me? Will you do that for him? Will you do that for the youth? Good. All right. Well, back to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 1 today. Again, we're going to look at verses 7 to 10. I'm going to read it, and if you'll read along. Do you have your Bibles today, by the way? Good. You're probably already there. Hopefully you're already there. If you're not, I'm going to start without you. It says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the truth of it, Lord, that your son is our redeemer. And Lord, however we look at at the fact that you elect us, God, we praise you for that. And I pray that today, Lord, if there's someone here today, someone here today that does not know about your grace, does not know about your love and your forgiveness, has never experienced your redemption from sin. God, I beg today that you would move in their hearts. I beg today, God, that you will change lives today for eternity. God, we recognize that that we have no hope apart from you. We recognize today that, that you are our only source of joy and strength and confidence because we have none of that stuff without you. God, I ask today that as we, as we study this, this text, God, I pray that your word will be alive to us. I pray that it, that it will be real in our hearts. That we won't just know it in our heads, God, but that we will apply it, that we'll live it, we'll obey it. And that as we go out this week, Lord, we can take the gospel to those in need. God, we praise you for your grace. Praise you for your love that you've shown us in Jesus. We ask all this in his name. All right, so we're going to walk through this passage like we like we would any other week. Uh, and, and really, Chris told you last week that in the original, this would have been one long, one long sentence. Uh, as Paul is writing these things, it seems like he just kind of builds every little idea that he that he writes, kind of builds on, on the next one. And so it's kind of the same deal today. So the best way for us to examine this today is to look at each one of these little parts of this passage, each phrase, and talk about what it means and then kind of look at it on the whole uh, at the end. So the first thing he says in verse 7, he says, in him. It begins with this phrase, in him, in Christ. Uh, we, we, it was mentioned last week that Paul uses this phrase over and over if you look through uh, even just this introduction alone, even the part that we read alone. Verses 7 to 10, Paul's going to use this this phrase 
this on the way home. Oh, just in the, yeah, not in the part that we read, but in the total introduction, he uses this phrase, in him or in Christ, nine times. Right? Nine times in the ESV he uses this phrase, in him or in Christ. So he's making this point, right, that, that this is a big deal, that nothing really is impossible, nothing is possible apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, nothing for us, none of these things that we're going to talk about today are possible, not redemption, not forgiveness, not mercy and grace, not wisdom and insight. None of these things are possible for us apart from Jesus Christ. All right, so we need to be clear on that from the get-go, that, that if you are not in Christ today, you need to listen because all the rest of the stuff doesn't, is not going to apply to you today. Hopefully that God can change that, though, right? Hopefully, God, if, if you are not in Christ right now, my prayer is that, that right now God is working on your heart so that you will be. Uh, so that this stuff will make sense, so that you will have redemption from your sins, so you will have forgiveness from God, so that you will know about his grace and his mercy, and that he'll give you his wisdom and insight and things like that. But it's only through grace, it's only by grace, it's only through faith, and it's all about Jesus. So Paul uses this phrase right off the bat, in him. If you don't have this part down, nothing else matters. You need to get this right. Today we're looking about the fact that the son redeems, and that's what Paul says in verse 7 here. He says, in him we have redemption. In him we have redemption. This word redemption here is, is speaking about a, a slavery term. Uh, back in the day, Paul would, in, in Paul's day, there were estimated what, something like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Uh, and and if, if there was one that wanted to be free, they could really only be free if someone would come along and pay a price for them. Uh, and so if someone would come along and they would pay a price, a, a set price, for a slave to have his freedom, then that slave would be redeemed. Uh, their freedom would be given to them. Their freedom would have been bought for them at a price. Does that make sense? Do you see where this is going? Do you see why this is, this is so good that Paul uses this? The person would agree to a pay a, a certain price, and that slave would be set free from their slavery. And this is exactly what Jesus provides for, provides for us from our sin. He has paid the necessary price to free us from our bondage of sin. Paul writes in Galatians 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is what sin does to us. It keeps us enslaved, and Jesus sets us free. Jesus breaks the chains, so to speak, of our, of our sin. And we should live like free men. And this is probably one of the saddest things about, about life today in the church, is that so many of us claim to have this freedom in Christ. We claim to have been set free from our sin, but we still love, live like slaves. You know, what kind of sense would it have made for a slave back in the day if, if someone would come along and, and bought freedom for a slave, would it make any sense for them to just turn right around and, and still to continue to live like a slave? Of course not, right? That would have been ridiculous. But that's exactly what we do today in our walk with Christ. We still live like we're enslaved to our sin. And Paul says in, in Galatians here, for freedom, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Yes, we're tempted. Yes, it's tough. But in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we can, we can overcome those things. We can't, but Jesus does. In him, he says, we have redemption. If you're in Christ today, you are free from your sin. My encouragement, and not just to you, but to me, my encouragement to all of us today is that we stop living like that. Live like we're free. 
Don't submit to a yoke of slavery, Paul says. Look back at the text. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Paul tells us how this redemption was achieved for us. He says we have redemption through his blood. This is the price that Jesus paid to set us free. It wasn't some kind of monetary thing. It wasn't, you know, $100. It wasn't a million dollars. It was his blood. And it was poured out for us. It was the price that he paid to ransom us, to pay us, to pay for us, to redeem us from our sins. Jesus shed his blood on our behalf. He gave his life so that we could have it. The price of our redemption was Jesus' blood, his very life. In the Old Testament, we see the same thing. We see this kind of building up to Jesus doing this. In Leviticus 17, 11, it says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, given it for you, I'm sorry, on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. Now, this is referring to animals' bloods back then, the, bulls of, the blood of bulls and, and goats and rams. But it's all a picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. His blood has made atonement for us, meaning that it is the price that he has been, that has been paid for our sin. We see this idea of blood sacrifice all the way back in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve had sinned, it says that they knew that they were naked at that point, and it says that God came and he made garments of skin for them. That means that something had to die. It means something had to die because of their sin. He covered their nakedness. He covered their sin and their shame with, this, with, the, animal, with the skins of an animal. This can be seen as a, a precursor to the sacrificial system that, that God instituted in the time of Moses, uh, where an animal would be taken and sacrificed, and its blood would be offered to God as a payment for sin. Jesus' death, Jesus' death gives us redemption. Jesus' blood gives us redemption. And we're going to talk about some more of this Old Testament stuff in just a second after we look at this next phrase. The next thing we see, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. And the next phrase was the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word trespass here means a false step or a blunder. You know, think of it, think of it as you would when you see like a no trespassing sign. I don't know if you own, any of you all own land. I know some of you do. Uh, and if you don't want a hunter to, to go on your land, what do you do? You put up a big sign that says what? No trespassing, right? When Holly and I lived in North City, we had one of those signs that, that kind of coming up our driveway at the start of our property line, we had a sign like that, no trespassing. It means we didn't even want anybody to cross that line. It indicated that there, there was a boundary that wasn't to be crossed. So when he says here, the forgiveness of our trespasses, it means that we have trespassed against God. It means that we have crossed a boundary in our sin. We have violated his boundary in the sense that we have violated his commands. And you know what his, his standard for us is, his boundary? It's perfection. And once we are imperfect, we cross that boundary. We have trespassed. So through Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, it says, of our trespasses. The word forgive literally means here to carry away. And it describes this ritual that would take place once a year in the Old Testament when the Jews would celebrate the Day of Atonement. I don't know if you're familiar about with this or not, but, but in this process, they would select two goats. They would bring them to the temple, to the priest. These two goats, would one would be 
sacrificed, its blood would be poured out on the altar and offered to God as a sacrifice for sin, as a, as a payment to God for the sin. And with the other goat, they would call it the scapegoat. What they would do is the priest would lay both of his hands on the head of the goat. And this would symbol this transferring of guilt, transferring of, of, of the guilt of sin onto this goat. And they would take this goat out in the wilderness and they'd just let it go. And so the picture is this goat is, is carrying away the sins of the Israelites. So with the one goat, they have the blood that's being sacrificed, the blood that's being poured out and offered to God as a payment for sin. And on the other goat, they have this carrying away, this, this idea that, that no more, the sins are going to be no more. They're going to be carried away forever. Well, at least until next week, right? At least until the next day of atonement. Then they would have to do it all over again. And this is on top of the daily sacrifices that would be made in the temple. They did this year after year after year. And they sacrificed this for sin all the time. But you know what? Jesus took our sins on himself once. And only once. And it was perfect. He carried our sins away forever so that they would never be sinned against again. Psalm 103, verse 12 says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I heard a pastor say one time about this verse that the reason that God did not say north and south, the reason the psalm does not say north and south, is because if you're north and you start heading south, there will be a point where you can start heading north again. So it's measurable. Does that make sense? That, that there's a definite point from north and south. You can't continuously go north because if you go north to the to the very bottom, and you're going south, you're all of a sudden going to be north again. If you go east to west, you're never going to, if you started east and you try to get to west, you're never going to get there. You're going to be heading west, but it's continual. It's eternal. So this idea of Jesus, of, of God removing our sins as far as the east is from the west, he says it's immeasurable. He says it's, it, it, it can't be, it can't be contained. The fact that he can't, that he doesn't remember that he forgets, that it's carried away, it means that it's gone forever. Does that make sense? It's good stuff, right? Let me read to you what the author of Hebrews says about this. In Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, he says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, how much more, he says, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. How much more, he says, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works. Later on in that chapter, in verses 24, in verse 24 he starts with this. He says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once 
for all, once, he says, for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen, right? And then in chapter 10, one more, he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now that's a lot. We could spend a whole couple months talking about all this from Hebrews. But the point is this. Jesus died once for sin, and it was perfect. If you lived in the Old Testament times, you would have to go to the temple over and over and over, year after year, to make these sacrifices that really weren't sufficient. But the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was completely sufficient for all sin, for all time. He died once. His blood offered once was perfect. Aren't you glad that we have this perfect sacrifice from a a perfect Savior today? We worship Jesus today because of this sacrifice, because of the sacrifice of himself. We don't come here week after week, month after month, year after year, so that some priest can offer the blood of a bull or a goat. We don't do that. We come here and we praise Jesus and we worship him today because of what he did, because of his sacrifice, because in Jesus we have redemption, we have forgiveness of of sins, and it was perfect. The blood that he poured out on the cross was perfect. In him, he says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then he says, according to the riches of his grace. Paul tells us the source of this redemption and forgiveness. It flows from the riches of God's grace. Grace is the reason God does this. It says in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He gives us this lavishly. It's not sparingly. He's not stingy with it. You know, he doesn't keep some back for himself. He's given us everything in Christ. And I think in our feeble minds, in our human minds, in our own understanding, we can't really comprehend the fullness of this truth, the riches of God's grace. I don't think we fully grasp that. But I'm thankful for it, that we have in Christ, we have been given freely. We have been given richly this love and forgiveness in this verse, Paul tells us not only does God provide, provide us with redemption and forgiveness, but also with wisdom and insight. These two words are, are essentially interchangeable. They both refer to this wisdom from God, not just earthly wisdom. This kind of wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And I told you a while ago, Chris is going to talk to you more about the Holy Spirit next week. And, and this, is, this is part of it, that as God gives us his son, we don't just get his son. The Holy Spirit indwells us allows us to understand, allows us to live out, allows us to understand what sin is and to how to turn from it, allows us to grow in our faith. So this wisdom and insight that God gives us means that we have the ability to live in such a way that God desires. More than just knowing it in your head, you know, if you just took this thing and memorized it cover to cover, it really wouldn't do you any good if you didn't believe it, if you didn't live it out. It's not enough to just know this in your head. To obey. We're called to be like Jesus. That's why application is a huge part of everything 
what I appreciate about, about Chris every week. It's not just, here's the text, here's what it means. But the last part, and you're going to get it at the end of the day, is here's the text, here's what it means. This is what we do about it. And this is why. Because in, in Christ, not only do we have forgiveness and redemption, but we have wisdom and insight to live it out. Does that make sense? Verse 9, Paul says, says in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So the first part of this, Paul says that, that in this wisdom, God makes known to us the mystery of his will. The word mystery here refers to, to secrets that, that have to be disclosed or, or revealed in order to be known. Something that, that originally was, was hidden, something originally was, was unknown, God has made known. That's what he's talking about when he uses this word mystery here. It's, it's not talking about the same way we might understand something as mysterious today, like unknowable, um, something to that effect. But what he's talking about is the gospel. It means that what was formerly hidden is now revealed in the gospel. And Paul says that in this next part. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. According to his purpose is the next part. He says he understands that God is always in control according to, to his purpose. God has never been caught off guard in anything. He didn't catch, guard, catch God off guard in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Did you know that? That's, that's kind of what Chris talked about a little bit last week. That the gospel was God's plan from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world. Sending Jesus was not plan B. Oh my goodness, my people messed up, what do I do? That was never... That was never a part of God's thought process. Never caught him off guard. It was, it's, he is sovereign. He is sovereign over his creation and nothing can change that. And he says that God's purposes have been set forth in Christ. That's what we're talking about. God's plan of redemption here. From before the foundation of the world. Fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This had been a mystery. This idea of a Messiah that would come. This idea that God would save his people from their sins, this was hidden to people in the Old Testament time. They knew a Messiah was coming. God gave them clues all along the way of what to look for, and it was fulfilled completely in Jesus. We can clearly see it in Jesus. Then verse 10, he says, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10 says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul tells us God's purpose, God's purpose was set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, he says. Ever since sin came into the world, ever since way back Genesis chapter 3, we can, we can look in the scripture, we can even see it in, in the world today, that everything is basically falling apart and has been. Everything has been falling apart. Everything has has been going downhill. Things aren't getting better. When sin came into the world, disease and death and decay came into the world, but it was on God's perfect time that Jesus would come into the world as well. His plan was for saving his people. His plan was Jesus all along. And Paul says that he came to unite all things in him. New American Standard says, calls this the summing up of all things. And this is speaking of God's intention with the cross to bring all things together. Once, 
once again in, in perfect relationship. Because that's how it was in the beginning, right? When God created Adam and Eve, everything was in perfect harmony. Adam and Eve walked with God. God walked, it says in Genesis that God walked with them, was walking in the cool of the garden. Everything was perfect until sin came. And this is how it is today. It's broken. It's messed up. Life is full of death, disease, decay. But Jesus came to fix it. And it may not all be fixed here, but it's going to be fixed in eternity. And I've got this thing here. Gets me up and down. Gets me where I need to go. But you know what? One of these days, I, I, I long for the day that I don't have to put this thing on. And you know what? In eternity, I'll never have to put it on. And it's the same for you. Whatever you're struggling with today, God may not fix it on this earth. It may not be his plan to fix it on this earth. But if you're in him, it's already fixed in heaven. And you can have confidence in that. You should have confidence in that today. You know what? That's what gets me through the fact that I'm 35 and I don't have one leg. It's temporal. It's temporal. Paul says that Jesus came to unite all things. going to be like it was before the fall in eternity because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And this thing created everything in all creation. Things in heaven, he says, the last, the last phrase, things in heaven and things on earth. I want to read you a couple of passages. The first is in Romans 8. Romans 8.23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says, not only ourselves, but he says, not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait. And we do. We, we groan inwardly. We, this life is hard. This life is not all there is. And listen to this, Colossians 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And listen to this. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, whether in heaven, or, well, I'm sorry, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through him to reconcile, Paul says in Colossians, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is making all things new by his death and resurrection. So that's a lot. There's a lot we could dive into a lot deeper. But Paul says that it all it's all about Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. I got four points of application today. Write these down. The first one, first point is that Jesus has paid the price for our redemption from sin. So we should live like we believe that. A slave has been set free from his slavery and it would be silly for him to continue to live like a slave. It's the same thing for us. We, we need to live like free men. We need to remember that we have been set free from our sin. We are not in bondage to our sin any longer if we're in Christ. Jesus has paid, has paid the price to set us free and we should live in response to that. So he has paid the price for our redemption from sin. We should live like it. The second point is this. If we are in Christ, God gives us the wisdom and insight to live in such a way as he desires. If we are in Christ, we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to live like we're not slaves anymore. This is the reason why this application part of the sermon is so vital. Again, if we only hear it and we don't put it into practice, we miss the point. James 1.22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So Jesus had paid the price for our redemption from sin. We should live like we believe it. If we are in Christ, God gives us the wisdom and insight to live in such a way as he desires. Third point is this. We need to take comfort in the fact that Jesus is making all things new. I thought about going to Revelation 21, 22. I feel like I've given you enough heavy stuff and conclusions and all that today. But do that. Just do that this week. Go to the end. Go to Revelation chapter 21, chapter 22, and, and, and read that this week. Spend some time there thanking God for the promises that he gives us in those two chapters. That all things are going to be made new. Some things in life may seem awful right now. Some things may be hard to swallow, difficult to endure. That's all because of sin. But we take comfort and we have hope in the fact that Jesus will restore all things in the future. And it will be that way for all of eternity. And we have comfort and hope in that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he has paid the price for our redemption from sin, so we should live like we believe it. If we are in Christ, God has given us the wisdom and insight to live in such a way as he desires. We take comfort in the fact that Jesus is making all things new. And here's the last point, and it's for those of you who are not in Christ. I want you to know today that there's hope for you. But you need to be redeemed. You need to be forgiven of your sin. And that's only through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. But what you need to know today is the gospel. You need to know that, that God has created everything. He created everything perfect. But because of our sin, everything perfect has become imperfect. Except for a perfect God. Our relationship with him has been tarnished. We are separated from him. And no amount of good works, no amount of, of good deeds can do anything about that. You are lost. You are dead in your sin, the Bible says. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ, even when we are dead in trespasses and sins. What you need to know is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven, came and lived a perfect life in this world. He was betrayed by a friend. He was arrested. taken out and crucified and killed and his blood was poured out to God on behalf of you on behalf of me because of our sin he died on the cross they buried him in the tomb and three days later he rose from the grave so that we could have victory over our sin so that we could have eternal life so that you could today 
one thing that we can do. And that's what I want you to do today. That's what I, I'm praying for you to do today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you, you have parked from him. You are dead in your sin today. My prayer is that, that in just a minute when we sing a, a song of, of, of response, that you will respond. That you'll repent of your sin and then you'll believe in Jesus for salvation. That's your only hope. That's the only hope any of us have. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his death and resurrection. We thank you for the redemption we have, the forgiveness of sins that, are, that is offered to us through his blood. God, we thank you for your word today that, that tells us these truths. We thank you for the fact that we can trust them completely. We can trust them fully. And I pray today, God, that, that right now our our hearts would be drawn to you. Help us to live, God, like, like we should live as your church, as your body, Lord, as your hands and feet. Help us to love people like you love them, Lord. Help us to take the gospel to people that, that are dead in their sins. God, we pray today, right now, for, for those that, that may not know you today, that have never been with you that have never been forgiven, that have never experienced your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. God, my prayer today is that you will convict their hearts, allow them to see the reality of their sin, and give them eyes to see, God, their, their need for you. And I pray that they would repent and trust in your salvation.